Good morning. How's everybody doing today? All right. Well, I am honored uh, to get a chance to give my life story today. Um, before we get started, um, a couple things. I want to uh, lead us off in prayer, but before that, I would like to uh, just encourage us to give another round of applause to the worship uh, team. I was blown away uh, today, as I, as I often am, so great job. I was particularly impressed by the drummer. I, whoever that guy was, I think he's just pretty awesome. I, I'm a little biased, I guess, but that's my son for the guy, if you don't know. All right, so a couple of, a couple of items to start off in prayer. Um, number one, uh, I want to I uh, spend some time praying for those that are going to Houston. So if you're going on the Houston trip, Raise your hand. All right. Awesome. Awesome. All right. I also want to uh, just pray for the Hagen family. So many of you know uh, Mike Hagen, a former elder here, uh, passed away this week. And um, I just want to uh, spend uh, a moment praying for his family and uh, loved ones and those that he touched. Okay. So let's, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father. I thank you so much uh, for this opportunity to, to speak to these uh, young students today, Lord. Uh, I want to lift up those students and leaders that are going on the Houston mission trip. We thank you for their willingness to serve you and to step out into what may be um, an uncomfortable uh, uh, position and out of their comfort zone. We thank you that you use uh, you use us when we're out of our comfort zone in mighty ways, Lord, and I pray that that would be what happens in Houston. God, I pray that you would use these students uh, to spread your love. I pray that, um, uh, that, that many lives would be touched and uh, many uh, people would come to know you through this trip, Lord. I pray for safety um, as well, uh, Lord, and uh, safe uh, driving and safety while they're there as well. I want to also lift up the Hagen family to you, and um, we thank you for Mike and the blessing that he was to this church, the blessing that he was to Scott and White and to the patients, the uh, innumerable patients that he touched over the years, uh, and that he uh, was was uh, on mission for you both, both there and here at TBC. We pray for comfort for his family and his friends, Lord, now. And we thank you that he is uh, with you and uh, in his new perfect body, Lord. And, and we, uh, uh, Lastly, I want to pray uh, that you would help me to get out of the way this morning and that, uh, that you would speak to these students through me, Lord. And uh, with that, uh, we thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. So um, when Dave asked me to give my life story, uh, my, my initial thought was, well, gosh, I, my, my testimony is not super exciting. So I've, I've you know, kind of had these thoughts, as I think you know, maybe a lot of us do. Um, I don't have uh, a super dramatic conversion story. Like I think about uh, examples maybe from the Bible, like the Apostle Paul, who has like a really cool conversion story, right? Really dramatic, right? So you know, God blinded him, knocked him, on, knocked him off his feet, and, you know, Paul was, you know, working as hard as he could against the church and against God and running away from God as hard as he could. And, and there's this really dramatic kind of story to tell. Or I think of another uh, example, you know, a pastor that was 
you know, a, a part of the church that my, that my father was, was a pastor in. Um, he, his, his conversion story was, you know, he, he, you know, went through all this hard, hard stuff in his marriage and infidelity and all kinds of terrible things going on. And his, and he hit rock bottom and his story was he was waiting at home for his wife to come home with a gun, waiting to kill her and kill himself. Uh, when, when he happened to flip on the TV to kill some time to wait uh, for this for his wife to come home, and Billy Graham was on the TV, and God spoke to this person uh, through Billy Graham, uh, and you know pulled him out of this terrible, awful situation that was happening, and he became you know a, a you know a pastor and, and served God for many many years, and so I don't have that kind of story. I have a story that's not unlike those that you've heard on previous weeks from people who grow up grow up in the church okay um, so but what God has showed me in in preparing for this talk and, and has you know spoken to me over the past couple years and as I've listened to other people's life stories is that that thought that your conversion story or your testimony is not significant or not interesting is the wrong way of thinking about it okay he's showed me that um, the, the significance and the importance of your testimony is not about you, it's about what he has done through you. And even if you don't have a super, you know, interesting, you know, conversion story that somebody's gonna make a movie out of, that doesn't matter because the change that occurred in your heart, the thing that he did in your heart, is no less significant, no less dramatic, and no less important. So. You're going to hear, you know, some a story, some stories that might sound kind of familiar uh, to, from what you've heard. But I would encourage you in thinking about your own testimony. First of all, let me say, uh, going through this process of preparing your testimony and thinking about how you're going to tell other people about what God has done in your life is a wonderful exercise to go through because God uses it not just to speak through you to other people, but boy, He speaks to you probably more so than anything else. So uh, I would encourage you, if you ever get the opportunity to do this, even whether it's on a stage or even just, you know, thinking about how you're going to give your testimony to someone else on a one-to-one -one situation, please do it because it is, it is so worthwhile and God teaches you and, um, and, and allows you to grow through this process. All right. Um, I think that was everything I wanted to say. Okay. So, uh, so I was born in a long, long, long time ago in a, in a land far, far away in uh, 1981, and uh, I'm, I'm not a native Texan. I got here as fast as I could, okay, or whatever you say. That's what you guys say here, I think. Um, so, but I was born in Illinois. Um, I was born in a small town in southern Illinois called Edwardsville. So there's a couple of pictures of me. I think the one on the left is, I believe, my third birthday party. Uh, and that's my grandma there. And uh, the picture on the right-hand side I chose because of that awesome futuristic background, which was way ahead of its time. We had no idea that we were all going to be, you know, walking around with lasers everywhere uh, in uh, in the future. Um, so my uh, my father was a remodeling contractor. So he did, you know, worked on people's homes. And uh, he later uh, later on, uh, when I was a teenager, he became a pastor. Uh, my mother was a homemaker. And I had one. I have one sister. She's nine years older than me. 
So I, I found out, I don't know when, I think I found out sometime in high school that I was a surprise. I think it was one of those things where I just kind of was, you, know, you don't think that, but my mom told me that I was a surprise. She, she assured me that I was a happy accident, okay, and I'm still going on that, that it, that it was a good thing, but, but <laughs> um, so my, my earliest memories that I can remember um, are playing catch with my mom in the front yard of our home. Uh, probably going back, I can remember th maybe things from when I was about four years old. That's, that, those are my earliest memories. So my, my parents would tell me that from the time I was old enough to hold a ball of any kind, baseball, basketball, soccer ball, any kind of tennis ball, any kind of thing like that, I always had a ball in my hand. I was playing some kind of ball. And uh, baseball turned into a big you know, passion of mine. So I loved playing baseball. I loved, loved watching baseball. Uh, my hometown was really near St. Louis. It was kind of like a suburb of St. Louis, and so that's a big baseball town. Um, and so when I was about five years old, um, I won a contest to go to Bush Stadium, which was this, the baseball stadium there. Oh, yeah, thanks. There's the, oh, I appreciate that. All right. Yeah, look at those socks. Wow. Um, so I won a contest to go to Bush Stadium. Should I tell you how I won the contest or not? Yeah. Okay, I'll tell you how I won the contest. So... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my grandma, who you saw in the first, in the first uh, uh, slide there, she uh, recruited my sister and my older cousin, recruited meant like dragged them down there by, the collar, by their collars, I think, down to the local grocery store. It was called Schnooks. That was like the H-E-B in St. Louis. And they had this contest there where you would fill out a card, put your name and your phone number on it, and in, enter, a, enter to win uh, you know, a day with Ozzie Smith. That's this guy. He's the one on the left. I'm the guy on the right. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I like a raffle. Yeah, so, but they didn't specify that you can only enter one time. And so my grandma was really, really wanted me to win this thing. And so she dragged my cousin and my sister by their collar down there. And the way my sister tells it, they must have entered about 10,000 times. I don't know how many times they actually did it, but she also told me that after a while they started entering like fictional names and addresses on there. So, like 1313 Mockingbird Lane. Anybody know that reference? You're gonna be old, you gotta be really old to know that one. So that's the Munsters address, okay? You guys don't know, you're talking, yeah. Okay, all right. Really, Munsters? Good job. Okay, yeah, all right. <laughs> all right, so anyway, I won, I won this. Uh, so anyway, Ozzie Smith, by the way, is a famous shortstop uh, that played for the Cardinals. He was famous for his defensive skills. He, and he was also famous because every time he would come out at the beginning of the game, he would do a backflip. So he would take the field at the beginning of the game, he would do this backflip, and the crowd would go crazy. So that's Ozzy. All right, so my parents were, were Christians. I grew up in a Christian home. And uh, by the time I was born, both of my parents were, were growing in their relationships with Christ. I think they, they each had their own kind of backstories as far as, um, you know, pri prior, but, but by the time I came along, uh, they, it was a, really a solid Christian home. Uh, they were both growing. Um, so they didn't, you know, they didn't just attend church, but they were active in church. Uh, they were active in service, and I saw them really genuinely, genuinely loving other believers, which is, you know, one of the hallmarks of, you know, a, you know, a true Christian, not somebody that just, you know, attends church because it's the right thing to do, but are you really loving other believers? Are you pursuing a relationship with them? Um, so the, the church we went to uh, was called Calvary Chapel, which interestingly, probably most, I bet most of you have not heard of it, but they did make a movie about this 
this Calvary Chapel church uh, recently, like a Hollywood movie, uh, starred Kelsey Grammer. It was called The Jesus Revolution. So it's like, I don't know, I'm not in theaters anymore, maybe, or just came out of theaters. But check it out. It's a pretty interesting story. Uh, but anyway, that, that's, and the, my dad ended up being a pastor in, in one of those churches up in southern Illinois. But growing up, I attended church every Sunday. Uh, they, we, we actually would drive an hour to church where the Calvary Chapel was located in, uh, in St. Louis. So we drove an hour to church every Sunday, and they had a home group every night that we would drive. I think it was like 45 minutes to, uh, to go to the home group. So very committed in terms of, you know, attendance and, and serving as well. Um, so I saw what biblical community was like, and, and I just, I mean, I knew from an early age it was something that I wanted. And I saw, uh, you know, in the lives of some of my friends and some of my extended family members, I, I saw the, the hurt and I saw people that were lost. And so I saw this stark contrast of what it's like to live the, the Christian life and what it's like uh, when someone is lost and hurting. And, and this just kind of clicked with me at an early age. So I, I was taught, you know, about sin, and I was taught about, you know, how sin is, is really a spiritual death sentence, and, and Jesus is really the only way to escape that death sentence. And so that, that just made sense to me at an early age. So I, I remember I responded to an altar call, I think probably about three, three different times in altar calls over between maybe the ages of 8 and 12. And, um, you know, I, I prayed the sinner's prayer, and, and I meant it. So I recognized that I recognized my sin and my need for a Savior. And, and, and I, you know, I, I asked Jesus into my heart. So I, I was baptized on Easter Sunday in 1993, so I was 12 years old. Um, so, you know, kind of similar to some of the other testimonies that you've heard, uh, I was saved at a young age, but I, I didn't begin to, I guess, grow significantly in my faith until later on. I think reflecting uh, on, on my faith early on, I think it was more based on this idea of wanting to escape the penalty of sin. I, I got that. I got that I'm a sinner, that, you know, that sin is a death sentence, and that's eternal separation from God, and I, I didn't want that, and, and, and so I, I accepted Christ, and I think most of, most of how, I, how I conceptualized uh, Christianity was really escaping that penalty. I, I, I wanted to get away from that penalty, right? Um, and, and, and early on, it wasn't as much about pursuing a relationship with God. And so that's one of the important points, I think, um, to, to remember is that, yes, sin is a death penalty, and that's an important part of, of you know, asking Christ into your heart is to, is to escape that penalty and that eternal separation from God. But that's not, what, that's not all about what, what Christianity is about. And so God really wants relationship with you. He loves you. He wants relationship. It's not like, and I think maybe the way I saw God was maybe somebody who was posting bail for me or, like, pardoning me so that I could get out of jail. Um, but then, you know, there's no, nothing after that. So he just gets you out of jail, and that's it. And that's not the full, the full story. Um, okay. So... As early as first grade, I can recall uh, being labeled as two things. Uh, so one thing that I was labeled as is shy, okay? So this is something that's been my whole life. So shy, you guys are probably, I bet the, those of you that know me know that I'm, you know, kind of a person of few words. I don't, uh, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm just not, I don't have the gift of gab. I don't talk all the time. So that, that was early on, I was shy. 
The other thing I got labeled as, and I can remember it probably as early as first grade being labeled as the smart kid, because I just got good grades. I didn't cause trouble. I just, you know, it was always in the you know, gifted programs and all that kind of stuff. So I got labeled as the smart kid. I remember being asked, one of the other students, I think in second grade maybe, asked me, how do you, just, how do, you do so well in school all the time? And, and you know, I, I, thinking back, I thought this, this was such an arrogant way to, to respond, but, but um, you know, I, I remember thinking, okay, how do, I, how do I answer this question without sounding like a, you know, a jerk or sounding arrogant? And I said, oh, well, I don't know, I just study a lot. So that, that was kind of the start of uh, maybe uh, forming an identity that was not based in Christ, and that was the early identity that I remember kind of latching onto was being the smart kid. Um, so in preparing for this talk, I was going through some old photos and yearbooks that my mom had kept. They're in a big tub that she gave me recently. And so on one of these papers, there was a question I don't know, a question that said, what do you fear most? It was like a fill-in-the-blank thing. So what do you, what do you think I put on there? What, 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 what do you think, uh, any guesses as to what my answer was? What do I fear most? Failure, okay. No, it wasn't failure. Well, it's like, kind of, kind of. Yeah, bad, oh, man, man, bad grades. That's exactly what I wrote. And I thought when I saw that the other day, I was like, wow, this is a real facepalm moment. You ever get the facepalm the face moment? Like, what was I thinking? That's what you fear most, getting bad grades. Man, um, all right. Uh, but in, anyway, that, that just kind of hit me that um, er, early on, that was, that was kind of my identity. So uh, my first word, you know how we do these things, we have kind of three words uh, that, that sort of define you, and it's really difficult to pick three words that define you, but this is the first one that, that came out is just proud, and, and not in a good way, like a sinful, sinful proud. Um, and so, this was this was you know part of my identity early on. I also got into playing baseball quite a bit, and then this also kind of formed part of my identity because I got really commit. I really loved baseball, as I said. I got into this as I progressed into middle school. I played on all these select teams and things. And by the way, if you play on select teams from sports, tell your parents thank you because you don't realize, and I didn't realize how much commitment that takes on the part of your parents. Your parents are paying so much money, driving you all over the place, staying in hotels at places far away. So set, tell your parents thank you. You should tell your parents thank you all the time anyway, but uh, just, just a little plug if you play on select teams, okay? So then I played on baseball uh, through high school. Our baseball team in high school did really well and won you know, state championship and all this kind of stuff. So it was like, you know, this kind of just fed more into my identity of you know, th this uh, being, being good at baseball. So it really consumed my thoughts. It, it, baseball got to the point where it, it consumed my thoughts and my spare time. Um, I practiced you know, long hours. You know, I spent time in the weight room. And, um, you know, I read about baseball. And even when, when I wasn't playing or working out, I would, you know, read about it. So, so this turned into an idol. It really did. Uh, so I think this is uh, a, a quote that really resonates with me. So John Calvin... He said the human heart is a perpetual factory of idols. And um, I talk a lot about, uh, with, with my students, um, about this. That, that really, we all form these idols. That's what the Bible tells us. We all put things in place of God, where God should be in our heart. And um, so I think thinking about how to identify those things in your life is really important because um, they, they put 
barriers between us and God, and they prevent you from having the fullest relationship with Jesus that you can. So J.D. Greer said, when something becomes so important to you that it drives your behavior and commands your emotions, you are worshiping it. All right, so baseball had become an idol for me, uh, but throughout all this, it's not that I've, I, I didn't forsake God. I was still attending church. My parents made sure that, you know, baseball didn't interfere with my church attendance, and I got made fun of that pretty hard, like when, you know, on these select teams where they'd have weekend tournaments and things, they'd have baseball games that would happen on Sunday morning, but my parents were very strict about, nope, you're not skipping, you know, church to go to the baseball games. And boy, I was the only one on the team that was doing that, for sure. And so I got made of pretty hard, got made fun of pretty hard. Uh, but, you know, clearly you can tell the way I'm talking about it. My priorities were pretty mixed up, you know, through all this. And I, I really wasn't putting God as the first priority in my life. And I was not thinking about my identity as being a child of God. My identity was, yeah, I'm good at this, I'm good at that. So, you know, this is what people see me as, so this is who I am, right? All right, so a few verses that I've come back to uh, in, in my life, uh, you know, that, that are kind of themed around this identity. Um, so Romans 12, 3 says, for, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Okay? Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. All right, so this kind of characterized my, my early life here. Um, oh, yeah, there's one more, one more verse on, on the theme of identity. Uh, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God is telling us with these scriptures, don't be so full of yourself. It's not about you. It's about God. You are God's child. That's who you are, and that's who you're meant to be. And when you realize that and stop thinking so much about yourself and thinking about how you can serve him and further his uh, kingdom, then, uh, then life begins to make more sense. Okay, so in, I met uh, my future wife, Kelly, during high school. So we actually met in, um, yeah, oh, oh, in awe. Oh, thanks, you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. All right, all right. <laughs> so that's, that's uh, yeah, that's me again on the left there. In between Kelly and I, that's my dad. Uh, he actually married us. That's his church. And that's my mom there on the far right. So as I said, um, Kelly and I met. Uh, during high school in biology class, so she sat behind me. Um, I think that was intentional uh, on her part. It wasn't an assigned seat sort of thing. I think I, I think I heard that she traded seats with somebody. Uh, but uh, we fell in love uh, pretty quickly. Uh, it was one of those kind of uh, love at first sight sort of things, I think. And uh, we, we both knew very shortly. <laughs> we, we both knew very shortly after we met that it was God's plan for us to be together. Um, so she became a strong, positive influence in my spiritual life. She challenged me to walk closer with God. And when, when we decided to get married, all of a sudden I was hit with this deep sense of responsibility. All of, you know, this is something where you know, I'm not just 
responsible for my own for myself but also um, I have this woman who I'm called to lead spiritually and that that's a that's a thing that hits you um, and, and then again when you have kids uh, there, there's the, another kind of like scary moment where you realize oh now I'm responsible for uh, another life um, so I would say the next the next word that uh, describes me is committed and so um, I, I committed uh, both both to uh, following following Christ and and I also after high school I decided to commit to pursuing a career in medicine and in hindsight it's very clear that this was God's plan for my life and I'm, I'm really thankful that he guided me here when I, I really had no idea what I was doing um, if I'm honest I think um, you know my that career choice was probably motivated more by these these thoughts of well, proving what I can do and how good I am and how smart I am and, and these sorts of things. But God clearly knew that this was ultimately the right thing, and he, he guided me in this area. So Kelly and I, we dated all throughout undergraduate school, and um, for two years uh, during this process, our relationship was long distance. So that was kind of hard. We were two and a half hours apart, and uh, I drove back virtually every weekend uh, to be with her. And so after I graduated from undergraduate uh, school, Kelly and I got married one week later. Oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, and then I had this crazy idea uh, that I was gonna sign up. Uh, I'm going not just to medical school, but I'm doing this thing called an MD-PhD program, which meant eight years of school. I, I still don't know what the heck I was thinking, but um, that's what I signed up for. And Kelly, uh, that somehow didn't scare her away either. So while I was doing this uh, eight years uh, of school up in Illinois, uh, all three of our kids were born. Uh, so yeah, okay, yeah, that's right. So there's uh, Maggie and on the left, upper, and Ben in the middle being eaten by the lion, and that's Andrew on the, on the right-hand side there. Um, so I just had to put all these pictures. I, I don't have time to talk about all these pictures as much as I would love to, um, but uh, I, better, I better keep moving. So Andrew was born in 2004, Maggie in 2006, and Ben in 2009. So they all are a, a blessing. They have been a blessing to us, uh, to us in their own way. Um, however, during this time, uh, we had, it was a challenging time uh, for our family for numerous reasons. So we were a part, uh, we, we were in a city that was about two and a half, away, two and a half hours away from our families. Um, so we were kind of, you know, a little separated from, you know, the support system that we had had early in our lives. And Kelly and I had some hard times in our marriage. And um, looking back, it, it, it is really so amazing to see how God not only kept us together, um, but caused us to grow closer and, and matured both of us in our faith. So Kelly and I will often say, and she said this to me recently as, as she was kind of sitting next to me as I was preparing this talk, that if it, if it was not for Jesus being the center of our marriage um, from the beginning, we would not have made it. We would just, I mean, that's just, we wouldn't have. Um, so uh, up in Illinois, uh, we, God blessed us with a strong church home and solid Christian friends, and we eventually began leading a small group there. And uh, so I would say the, the third word I'm, I'm going to say is just blessed. And um, so that's, that's Kelly and I on our 20th anniversary trip that was May of this year. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> so after graduation, after, after we graduated from uh, medical school up there, uh, we matched to residency down here at Scott & White, so that's how we ended up uh, coming down here. And we've been here since 2011. So I work 
as uh, for those of you that don't know, I work as a gastroenterologist at Scott & White. So that means I take care of people with illnesses of, the, of their digestive tract. And um, some of these illnesses can be quite devastating for people. And, and I have really found that I have an opportunity to minister to patients because of this. Um, so I, I'm really given a unique opportunity to walk with people through their very darkest times of physical and mental and spiritual suffering. And um, I have just, it's just a thrill that God uses me to heal people and, um, and to show his love and mercy in, in just very tangible ways. And I have seen many patients uh, through this turn to Jesus, which, uh, you know, starting out, I, I really didn't think of medicine in this way, I guess. I, I didn't see it necessarily, you know, when I was younger as this was going to be my mission field, but it absolutely is. Uh, and so I would encourage you to find your mission field wherever it is. It doesn't always look like, um, you know, what you think of as, as being a missionary, but we all have our mission fields. Wherever you are is, and wherever God puts you is going to be your mission field. Um, so 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whatever you eat or drink or whatever, oops. <laughs> oh, yeah. I would love to talk more about this slide, but I think I'm going to have to skip. So you're, this is just going to be a mystery. <laughs> so 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So even after all this time uh, and all that God has done for me, I, I still find myself struggling uh, with, with idols. And, I, 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 you know, the idol for, for me that I struggle with is work. And, and you know, I, I have to constantly ask for his help to, to keep my priorities straight. I have to guard against spending too much time on work. Um, and I have to remember that my identity is not in what I do, but in whom I serve. All right. So there's a couple of, of scriptures that I'm going to share with you um, as we wrap up here. And uh, w one book that has really resonated with me in my life is the book of Ecclesiastes. It's one of my favorites because Ecclesiastes reminds us of how useless and meaningless our pursuits are when we try to achieve things on our own. It tells us that our job, our duty, and the entire purpose of our existence is to love, obey, and glorify him. So Ecclesiastes 1.11, there is no remembrance of people of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. This says, don't think that you're so great that you can achieve things on your own, and you're gonna be remembered, and, and you're gonna be great because of all the things you achieve, because that's not the way the world works. Many, much dreaming and many words are meaningless, therefore fear God. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. So all, what this is telling us, what Solomon is telling us in the Ecclesiastes is all the things that you achieve uh, outside, of, uh, outside of God, all, all your own pursuits, they're all gonna burn up, they're all meaningless, okay? And so this says that uh, set your heart on God and pursue God, and that is the only true meaning that we have in this life. All right. Okay, so this is another verse that I've come to uh, again and again in my life. Uh, when I find myself struggling with recurrent sin, um, the Holy Spirit really brings this slide, this, uh, this verse to mind every time. 
This is Psalm 51, 10 through 12. Uh, and this is King David speaking. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. This verse has been a, a source of profound comfort to me throughout my life, and I think the comfort um, is really uh, becomes more meaningful when you understand the context of this verse. The context of this verse is that it was written by King David after he had sinned in a major, a major way. He had committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he had murdered her husband in an attempt to cover up his sin. And in, in this verse, we see King David, a broken and contrite man, uh, that recognizes the weight of his sin, and he recognizes his complete dependence on God. So it is a reminder that we should constantly ask God uh, for forgiveness and for him to renew our hearts. It's also a reminder that no sin is too great to be completely covered by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. No matter what you've done or how badly you've messed up, God is there waiting to forgive. You just have to ask him. I'm going to wrap up with these two graphs. Uh, and I think Dave has alluded to uh, these, these kind of graphs, but I, I wanted to show them because they're very meaningful to me as well. So this kind of is a representation, I guess, of the, uh, of a, the Christian life. And on, on the left, uh, where you see non-Christian, this is before we're saved or before we're justified, where we are really slaves to sin. Uh, but then at the point where we accept Christ, we are converted, so that's justification. So then we, we enter into the Christian life. And then over the process of our uh, time as a Christian, uh, we, become we, we become sanctified, or this process of sanctification. That means growing closer to God and becoming more like Jesus, okay? Um, so this is one way to think about the Christian life, and... and You'll, you'll notice that the process of sanctification is not a complete straight line up all the time. It's this line that sometimes levels out, sometimes it dips, and so there's ups and downs, and there's times when, uh, in, in my life, when I feel like I'm, I'm really following Christ and I'm walking like I should with Christ, but there's times uh, when I don't. But another way to think about uh, this process of sanctification is here, and you've heard Dave talk about this sort of V shape, and this is what uh, he was referring to in a V-shape. So we have uh, the process at which we're converted or, or justified, but then the process of sanctification is, involves us uh, recognizing or learning about how deep, our, uh, how deep our sin is. So that's the downward arrow there. So the more we know and the more we learn about ourselves, we, the more we recognize how deep that sin is and how far it separates us from God. But at the same time, we, have a, we gain a deeper and deeper knowledge of God's holiness. That's the up arrow. And you see what that results in is the cross looks bigger and bigger the farther out we go. And that represents, you know, the recognition of how big and how great Christ's sacrifice was for us. The more we know and the more we learn about him, the bigger that sacrifice appears to us, and, and, the, and so I, I thought this was um, uh, a good thing to think. The, the last thing I'll leave you with is this quote from Tim Keller. The gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. All right, so I think, um, I ran a little long, I don't know, we, we may not have time for questions, what do you think, Caleb?
All right, we do not have time for discussions. Um, we started a little late today, so we do have a few minutes left. So do you want to explain the picture of the gas mask? Oh, the gas mask. Yeah, because I'm curious, so. So, so as a gastroenterologist, uh, one of the things that I spend a lot of my time doing are procedures. So we do scope procedures where we look into patients' stomachs and other parts of their GI tract and so forth. Now, uh, many of you may know something happened. What, what happened in the spring of 2020? Yeah, that's when COVID happened. I, I thought you might have somebody might have, some of you might have heard about that. When when COVID came about. Things changed dramatically over at Scott and White and in hospitals around the country, and um, and so there was a lot of fear and worry about um, what was what was going to happen. And we were watching people die every day; numerous people die every day from this illness. And um, so we we were taking you know uh, some really strict precautions to try to protect ourselves against this infection. And this was a picture of me uh, with my. My gas mask, it's not really a gas mask, it's a respirator, kind of looks like a gas mask, but it's a respirator. And uh, another thing that happened was there was a big shortage of per, uh, personal protective equipment. So masks and things like this were in really short supply. So some, uh, many healthcare workers, myself included, were purchasing our own sort of equipment like this. So that's a ski mask. <laughs> And a respirator, uh, and, and you know, I was getting ready to go in and do a, proce a procedure on a on a COVID positive patient here. So that's that's the story. All right, cool. Thank you so much, Dr. Chris, for sharing with us. Um, so since we do not have time for discussion, uh, what we're going to do real quick is if y'all can get into groups of like four or five, six, somewhere around that range, we're just going to take some time to stop and pray for the Houston mission trip that's leaving today. So y'all can pray for stuff like safety um, on the trip there and back, unity for the team, um, that the gospel would be boldly proclaimed for the people that they'll be sharing with, that they will have open hearts. Um, so if y'all can just get into some groups and um, pray for a little bit, and then once y'all are done, y'all are dismissed. Thank y'all so much.